This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 289. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 30 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Rebecca and Sasha continued their mission to find out what's happening to Daniel, or Danny, as she's now calling herself. They visited Daniel's bachelor cell and talked to his roommate, Nathan Levy. Nate was evasive at first, but he finally admitted that Danny hasn't been around much lately. She's moving in with her new boyfriend, Jared Tamlin. Nate, who is both a computer cracker and a conspiracy theorist, naturally dug up everything he could find on the guy, which wasn't much. Jared has lived his life on the straight and narrow, without so much as a parking ticket. Nate did find Jared's address, of course, and Rebecca persuaded him to hand over the directions. As they went into Nate's bedroom, Rebecca noticed that the infamously horny computer cracker had taken down all of the girly pictures that once covered his walls and ceiling. After a brief conversation with Jared, Nate had realized that having those pictures up was disrespectful. It was time for him to grow up. Rebecca went with Sasha to Jared's condominium, where she used her clairvoyance to snoop around inside the place. She then used psychometry, the power to look into the past, so that she could look back over Danny's history with Jared. She followed the psychic trail all the way back to Danny's first night at Jared's place, when Jared held her in his arms and whispered, Danny, I love you. Never leave me. Never leave me. As she watched the lovers in her vision, Rebecca realized what had happened. Somehow, in that moment, Jared had changed Danny, just as he had probably changed Nate. Somehow, Jared makes people do what he wants them to, and apparently it's completely subconscious. It doesn't seem to be telepathy, though. Sasha scanned Nate back at the bachelor cell, and it didn't look like his mind had been messed with. Whatever Jared does to people, it happens on a deeper level, the level of the soul. That shouldn't be possible, but then that's what people used to say about other psi powers, too. From Jared's condo, they raced across town to the hospital where Danny works, arriving just at the end of her shift. Jared was there with her, and when he went downstairs to get the skimmer, 
Rebecca came in to face Danny. At first, Danny believed Rebecca when she said she was in danger, until Rebecca explained that she thought Jared was the one responsible. Danny's attitude changed in an instant, becoming suspicious and borderline hostile. Rebecca pleaded with her to consider how much she'd changed and how quickly, but as far as Danny was concerned, that was a settled matter. She did this to herself, and even if she didn't, even if Jared somehow did it to her, Danny would be grateful for it. For the first time in a long time, she's happy. Danny thinks that Rebecca just can't accept the idea of Danny being happy without her, and that she's imagining villains where there aren't any, and she's deeply offended at the idea that there's something wrong with her when her life is finally going so well. Your boyfriend is dead, Rebecca Brower, Danny told her. You killed him the day you left. And if you don't like what I've become, then fuck you, because you've got nobody to blame but yourself. Then she turned and walked away, leaving Rebecca sobbing on the floor. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 30 Sasha came out of her hiding spot and rushed to Rebecca's side as soon as she saw her fall. She wrapped her arms around her sobbing lover and tried to suppress her rage at Danny Sharabi. Part of her wanted to chase down the other woman and hit her with a psychic blast that would shut down her higher brain functions for the next week or two. It wouldn't accomplish anything, though, and Rebecca wouldn't want her to do it, so she tried to focus past her own feelings and offer Rebecca whatever strength and focus she could manage. I wish Fiona were here. She's better at this part than I am. Fiona... That brought up a whole other set of problems that she didn't have time to deal with right now. Her heart still ached from the fight between Fiona and Rebecca this morning. She hoped that Miriam would be able to say something to Fee that would get through to her, but she wasn't optimistic about her chances. Sasha had been Fiona's closest friend since the age of 13, and her lover since the age of 16, and Sasha still found that there were things that Fiona held back from her. She didn't know what had made Fiona so afraid of making herself vulnerable, but it had created a fault line that ran straight through the middle of their family. With the added pressure the hive was putting on them, and now this trouble with Rebecca and Danny, the cracks were starting to show. That scared Sasha more than she wanted to admit. This family was the center of her universe, and the idea that it might fall apart in the face of hardship terrified her more than death itself. As she helped the weeping Rebecca to her feet, she vowed that she would do anything, sacrifice anything, in order to keep her family together. Rebecca took a deep, shuddering breath, then coughed as she tried to find her voice. It's... it's worse than I thought, she said. I thought maybe I could get through to her if he wasn't here, but... oh, gods. Stay with me, Bex, Sasha urged as she led the way back down the hall. We're not finished yet. Rebecca looked up at her, surprised. 
What can we do against that? I'm not sure yet, but I think I know where to start. She pulled out her phone and dialed a number. Hello? Nathan, it's Sasha. I need you to look someone up for me. If I can, what's the name? Sasha clenched her teeth. Get me whatever you can dig up on a wizard named Artax. Artax? He runs the Spells for You magic shop. I thought everyone knew that. He read off the address, and Sasha pulled out a pen and wrote it on the back of her hand. Funny you should mention him, actually. He's the guy who did the potion Danny used to take the curse for a test drive. Figures, Sasha muttered. Thanks for the info, Nate. No problem. What do you need him for, anyway? He's the only one who's gotten a close look at Danny's head since all of this happened, Sasha said. I've got some questions for that son of a bitch. Spells for You was closed by the time Sasha and Rebecca reached it, but the lights were still on, and Sasha wasn't about to take no for an answer. She pounded on the door with one small fist, until a gray-haired man in a bathrobe came slouching out of the back room to answer it. If you're attempting to put me in a more accommodating mood, you are failing miserably, he growled. We can pay you well, Sasha said. Mm, that's a start. Come in if you're coming, Miss King. Sasha blinked. He is a wizard, Rebecca said. He scried that we were coming and what we wanted before we finished parking the skimmer. Artax turned and looked at her, his bushy eyebrows raised. Yes, that's right. You seem to have rather impressive foresight yourself, Miss Brower. She shrugged and blushed. I am an Esper, you know. Unexpectedly, Artax laughed. <laughs> Quite so, my dear. Come inside, please, and I'll get you a seat. Pregnancy is never kind to the feet or the back. And unlike some of my colleagues, I know that from experience. The old man turned and headed back into his shop. Sasha exchanged a puzzled look with Rebecca, then shrugged and followed him. Artax took them to his office in the back, where he offered the one cushioned chair to Rebecca and took a plastic chair for himself. He listened intently as Rebecca and Sasha related the details of their encounter with Danny, as well as the strange changes in Nathan's behavior and the vision Rebecca had channeled in Jared's apartment. The wizard made notes on a legal pad as they spoke, and occasionally stopped them to ask a few clarifying questions. When they had finished, he grunted thoughtfully to himself and set the pad aside. So, what do you think? Rebecca asked. The old man's eyes grew distant, and he chewed on the end of his pen. Nearly a minute passed before he finally spoke. I was afraid of this, he muttered. Sasha felt her eyebrows go up. You were? Danny said you told her that it was impossible to change a person's soul. Artax snorted. <laughs> Typical. They always hear what they want to hear. Then you didn't say it's impossible? He shook his head. I told her that we know piss all about the soul or how it works. If there's a way to change someone's soul without any sign of tampering, I've never heard of it. But that's not the same as saying it's impossible. Is there anything we can do to help Danny? Rebecca asked. Artax tapped the end of his pen against his lips. Possibly. 
but are you certain that's the best choice, Miss Brower? It might be kinder to leave her as she is. Rebecca shook her head firmly. You want me to leave her with a guy who can make her do whatever he wants? No way. She lowered her eyes and sighed. She may be happy, but she's losing herself. Daniel would never have said those things to me. She's right, Sasha said. I know Dee pretty well, and that wasn't him. Her. Whatever. Artax nodded. Very well. I have an idea for something that may help. Wait here. He returned a few minutes later with a scroll, three candles, and a stoppered vial. Ritual magic? Sasha guessed. Artax grunted in acknowledgement. You're a lucky woman, Miss Brower, he said, setting the spell components on the desk in front of Rebecca. Since my last meeting with Miss Sharabi, I've been doing a bit of research into this area myself. As I said, there's next to nothing on soul lore in the published literature, but I called in a favor and managed to get a few days with a very old text on the subject. If my calculations are correct, then Danny's curse may be the one thing that allows you to reach her. Rebecca frowned. What? Why? Bifurcation, Artax said. The androgyne version of the Curse of Metamore splits the soul into two aspects. It's an oversimplification to call them male and female. Souls aren't inherently sexual. But that's how they express themselves when they're filtered through a human brain. The upshot of it is that where you once had one essential nature, you now have two. Wait a minute, Sasha said. I thought that bifurcation only happens when you have several generations of androgynes in a row. A first-generation androgyne is still the same person in both sexes, but after six or seven generations, you basically have two people in the same body. That is the way it's usually presented, but it's not quite the truth. The bifurcation always happens, but in the low-order generations, the two souls normally cooperate with each other closely. The split becomes easier to spot in subsequent generations, because the curse does something to the genetic code that makes it easier for the brain to handle parallel processing from two souls. When your brain is fully formed, it isn't able to change very much, but in the children, the effects get stronger with each new generation that takes the curse. So Danny's souls are like two teeps and a gestalt, Rebecca said. Not quite. Danny's been using an imitation of the curse that I crafted myself. Superficially, the effects are identical, but there's no true bifurcation. I shan't bore you with the details, but the illusion of two personalities is constructed on the mental level. I'm good, lass, but even I can't split a soul. But Danny just had her suppression chip removed this morning, Sasha said. Exactly. The curse is taking hold of her but it won't be complete for another twelve to twenty-four hours. Once the bifurcation takes place, you'll have the chance to help her. But how? Rebecca asked. I'm sorry, Mr. Artax, but I still don't understand what we're supposed to do. I'm getting there, dearie. Bear with me. Artax settled back into his seat and picked up the scroll. If your information is correct— then Jared Tamlin has somehow been suppressing the part of Danny's personality that you knew as Daniel. Her personality has already been fractured along lines of masculine and feminine identity. When the curse takes hold of her, the bifurcation in her soul is going to follow that fault line and split her down the middle. 
Now, Jared has already been here once to buy a second dose of the pseudo-curse for Danny, so it's safe to say that her feminine side is the only part of her he's interested in. After the split, his subconscious desires will be focused completely on the female soul, which should leave the male soul, the Daniel personality, free to be himself again. He waved the scroll in his hands. This incantation will temporarily strengthen the Daniel personality, giving him a chance to come back to the surface. Rebecca reached for the scroll. This'll turn her back into Daniel? Artax pulled it out of her reach. No, it just alters the balance of power between the two personalities. Daniel will get more of the brain's processing power than he's been able to use lately, and if he wants to come out, he'll be able to. But he won't have to take control. Artax chuckled. It wasn't a pleasant sound. Also, he's likely to be a bit adulpated at first. The bifurcation is just now starting to happen, and it may take some time before he's self-aware enough to do anything. How do we do the ritual? Sasha asked. It's all on the scroll. Just follow the directions. You'll need some open floor space, and a sympathetic link of some sort to connect you to Daniel. I have pictures, Rebecca offered. And a locket he gave me for my 18th birthday. That will work, Artax agreed. Remember, you have to wait until the curse is finished taking hold of Danny before you cast the spell. Otherwise, it's useless. He offered the scroll to Rebecca, and she took it. How will I know when that is? she asked. The old man smirked. You're an esper, my dear. I'm sure something will come to you. And that's the end of Chapter 30. Come back next time, when Brian and his team begin their raid on Viscount Security. Stuart Stafford said, Writing is the spectrum through which the chaos of life can be seen, studied, and understood. So, let's see what chaos I've brought under the microscope this week. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the period of June 5th through June 18th. Over the last two weeks, I wrote 3,317 words in 4.25 hours, averaging 780 words per hour. I wrote on 5 out of 14 days. Over the last two weeks, I went back to the Honor Bound trilogy to continue working on the edits. I did some extensive rewrites on Chapter 17 of Book 3, when Honor has a long conversation with an important person from her past. This scene is crucial to tying off one of the major emotional through-lines of the book, but it didn't land well with my beta reader. She felt that what this person had done to Honor and her family was too unforgivable for there to be any reconciliation between them. So I made a few behind-the-scenes changes that softened the characters' actions and made them less reprehensible in ways that could be proven to Honor here at the end of the book. We still get the emotional conflict that drives Honor through the story, but when she hears what was happening on the other side of things, it makes the other characters' actions more sympathetic. Now I need to write one more chapter, to close off some dangling plot threads with Delphinia, Alex, and Honor's father. 
I'm sort of amazed that June is more than halfway over, and I've still got so far to go in editing these books. The last two and a half weeks feel like they've just flown by. Part of that's because things have been busy at the day job, in a way that has been mentally tiring. I'm doing a lot of data review and training new analysts, which takes more out of me than routine testing. On the weekends, I've been prioritizing work on the podcast over working on writing, and during the week, I either haven't made the time to write, or I've been too exhausted to focus on it. Editing a book is hard for me. It's harder than writing the story in the first place. It's like trying to make changes to a tapestry after it's been woven. Every thread you pull on is connected to countless others, and if you make a change in one place, you have to consider how it impacts everything else. Maybe that's why I've been procrastinating on it. But I'm out of time, and out of excuses. Next week I've got to make serious progress on this, or I'm going to be in trouble. Come back next time and I'll tell you how it's going. Over on the Patreon feed, we have some new patrons this month. Please welcome Miki, Charles, Ben, Moiran, and James. If you like this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the best way to support me. For $3 a month, you'll get access to sneak peeks, art previews, cover reveals, and other cool stuff, including the first draft of the Honor Bound trilogy. Plus, all patrons get access to exclusive Metamore City artwork from talented artists like Ben Clifford and Carol Foote. And if you prepay for a year subscription, you'll get one month for free. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much. I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org. <laughs>